0: All right, well, good morning, y'all. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Last week, I think it was last week, my days are running together, but last week, I'm pretty sure that I dropped a quote on you and I dropped a reference on you that you may have been wondering where in the world did that come from and why is that important? And I want to circle back to it this morning. Here's the quote Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. Here's the dude, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, who lived from 1700 to 1760. Why is this guy important? Count Zinzendorf was born into Austrian, not Australian, Austrian nobility in 1700. And it was expected that he would follow his father's footsteps and go into government, which eventually he did when he was 21. He took a position within the judicial courts. But the whole time, Count Zinzendorf had a real passion, a heart, and a mind for theology and for religious work. And then, less than a year into his religious, excuse me, into his court position, he bought an estate from his grandmother with the intent of forming a Christian community for oppressed religious minorities. As that happened, a Moravian showed up at his door. Now, Moravia, we don't talk about it today. It's in modern-day Czech Republic. But a Moravian by the name of Christian David showed up and became his first tenant. A little bit of time goes by, not too much longer, and ten more Moravians join this new settlement of sorts. And they ended up naming it, giving it a good German name, Hirnhut. Dre, did I pronounce, is that a good, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm going to avoid the Herrenhut, <laughs> which means the Lord's watch. By 1725, there were 90 Moravians. By 1726, there were 300 Moravians essentially forming a small city on Zinzendorf's little plot of land. In 1731, Count Zinzendorf traveled to Denmark. There was the coronation of a new king. And while he was there, he met a converted slave from the West Indies by the name of Anthony Ulrich. Anthony wanted somebody to go to his homeland to preach the gospel, and particularly to go after his brother and his sister. So, Zinzendorf, upon hearing this news, hustled back to Hernhut, and immediately two volunteers said that they would go. Within two decades, the community there at Hernhut grew to over 600, and of that, over 70 missionaries were sent out, and it went all over the globe Greenland, Suriname, Africa's Guinea coast, South Africa, Romania, Constantinople, and it was Moravians who settled places like Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and Salem, North Carolina. By the time Zinzendorf died in 1760, 226 Moravian missionaries had been, were sent out to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. William Carey is often thought of as being the father of modern missions. Count Zinzendorf beat him by 60 years. Now, Zinzendorf, if he knew that I was talking about him, would roll over in his grave. Because remember, he's the guy that's saying, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And here I am 300 years later saying, oh, by the way, here's Count Zinzendorf. Zinzendorf made the gospel his sole aim and his sole focus. Now to prove to you that I have retained my, that my southern bona fides are indeed real, I grew up in a southern Baptist church in central Florida. The founding pastor of that church was a man by the name of Reverend Cornelius Davis. That's how you know I'm from the South. I actually knew a guy named Cornelius. Some, not many, gave him the affectionate nickname of Corny Davis. I was never given permission to call him Corny. And while I'm sure that Reverend Davis was not the first one to have ever said this, he was the first one that I had ever heard it from. And it was in the late 1980s. And Reverend Davis came back to to visit, and he preached a message called, The Main Thing is to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. I've said to you before, I have never had an original idea while standing in this pulpit. And in fact, this morning, what I'm going to share with you, I'll be honest with you, you've heard before. It's going to sound a little bit different, didn't want to go like complete copy and paste. But you've heard this before. But I want to do what the Apostle Paul has done for us. And I want to remind you. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you brothers. Of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received. In which you stand. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of. First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the gospel is the main thing. I never want you to lose your amazement and your wonder of what happened as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God put on human skin and he came and he lived among us. And he willingly went to the cross and suffered and died in our place to forgive us our sins, to grant us eternity And the assurance of eternity. And to give us a grace and a mercy that we get to live in day by day while our years remain here on earth. Now again, I've shared some of this with you before. But I want to be like Paul. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. And that there is a past Present and future tense of the gospel. And all three are important in our understanding of what is the main thing, and that the gospel is the main thing. Now, you didn't know you're going to get English grammar here this morning, but it's worth us understanding the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the past tense that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Paul writes to the Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Now, if you've hung up with for any length of time, you know that I love the word propitiation. And I'm such a Bible snob that they don't translate that word correctly. I just won't use it. That's just me. It's my own issue. I'm not imposing that on anybody. That's just me. But propitiation, that word, what it means is the wiping away of sin and God's wrath being satisfied. It's it's two acts that combine into one act. And through the blood of Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, every sin that you have ever committed in the past... every sin that you will ever commit in the future, the penalty of that sin has been placed on Christ and God is satisfied. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will never, ever, ever, for even a nanosecond, experience the penalty for your sin. You will never know. You will not even get a breath of God's wrath on you. Instead, it's been replaced by his unending care and attention and affection you will never face the penalty for your sins this is the good gift that God has given to us in Christ it's the assurance that we need to know that my sins are taken care of and nothing will ever 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 change that that's the past tense but here's the present tense, that we are being saved from the power of sin. Paul writes to the Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As you walk with Jesus consistently over time, and what I love about this church family is that we have some awesome senior saints who have been walking with Jesus for decades. It is a gift to this church to have their example. That as they've walked with Jesus faithfully for decades, they would acknowledge, yes, I do still sin, but the power of that sin is being reduced to my life as God makes me more and more into the image of his son. Now, none of them are achieving perfection, although there's a few that I think might be kind of close. Give it another couple of years. But that power of sin, as we fall more and more in love with Jesus... And doing things Jesus' way and devoting ourselves to spending as much time as we possibly can with Jesus, the power of sin begins to dissipate because we find that the grace and mercy of Jesus is so much better than what the foolishness of sin could ever possibly offer to us. So that power of sin is lessening. So I would encourage you, church family to be diligent, to continue to walk faithfully with Jesus. Let his words wash over you. Daily spend time reading God's word, being instructed by God's word, being comforted by God's word, perhaps being challenged by God's word. As you know more of God's mind and heart and his words, it shapes and transforms your thoughts, your attitudes, your beliefs, your words, and your actions. And you'll get to a place where the more you walk with him, the more unpleasant sin seems. If you don't believe me, please find one of our senior saints. Take them out to breakfast, have coffee with them. And let them share with you the story of what it's like to walk with Jesus faithfully for three, four, five, six, seven decades. The gospel allows that power of sin to have a reduced impact and a reduced effect in our lives. And then there is a future tense of the gospel. The future tense is this, that we will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, who is ready for that? Bring it on right now. Where it won't even exist as a category. We will never have to worry about it ever again. Our great hope is that we're going to see this one day. Revelation 21, starting verse 3. And I heard a loud voice nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's coming a day where we won't even see sin. It won't even occur to us to think about it. It will have vanished completely from our understanding when we spend time with God in eternity. We know that sin brings death, mourning, crying, and pain. And God is promising his people there's coming a day where all that is gone. So church family, live an expectant life. Recognize that there is coming a very bright future. An incredibly bright future. Hold on. The best is yet to come. All of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And what Christ accomplished at the the cross saves us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and eventually even the presence of sin. So I want you this morning to be amazed by the gospel. This is the main thing. As a corporate body, as a church family, and as individuals, this is our task to proclaim the gospel, to share God's heart for those who are suffering because of sin. To share God's plan for rescuing people from their sin, to give a place for people to go when they're in desperate need of grace, mercy, peace, and comfort. All of that gets accomplished because Jesus was faithful. He toiled in obscurity for 30 years as a carpenter. And spent three years wandering around the desert with 12 jug heads that can't seem to get their act together. Then ultimately and faithfully went to the cross. And at any moment, he could have called out an entire legion of angels to have rescued him. But he obeyed until the very end. Why? Because he wants to rescue sinners. This is our message to a lost, hurting, and dying world, that Jesus came to rescue sinners. And so we have a message, and our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The church is the means that God uses to make the gospel known. The church as a corporate entity, yes, but the church also as a collection of individual believers. We have a responsibility. We have a task, which is to make the gospel known. It is the main thing. Paul keeps going. And to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church... Did y'all hear that? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God... Might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through the church. You have a part in this. You have a considerable part in this. God has uniquely placed each one of us into a certain sphere of influence, whether it's school, work, neighborhoods, soccer teams, baseball teams, places you like to shop, wherever. God's put you in a sphere of influence. You are the church. And your task is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And that wisdom is this He came to rescue sinners, He sent His Son to rescue sinners. with all the fullness of God. I don't do this to you very much, but I'm going to give you homework. I want you to read and then reread Ephesians chapter three this week on your own. There is so much. (laughs) I I want you to know The love of Christ. I want you to know what it's like to be sustained and nourished by the love of Christ. I want you to walk away from Ephesians chapter 3. Knowing that you know, that you know, that you know. That Jesus endlessly loves you. But Paul throws a phrase in there. with. All the saints, I want you in the days, weeks, months, years to come to practice sharing the love of Christ that he has for you with somebody else who needs to hear your story. It could be another believer, perhaps somebody who's feeling weak in the faith, perhaps somebody who's discouraged by things, perhaps somebody who's just a little lost and confused, Share your story of Christ's love for you. It could also be for somebody who does not yet know Jesus. And is trying to make sense out of what does all of this mean? They need to know that there is a very real living Savior who loves them. And makes himself known and makes himself available. You have a story to tell. You have a story of how God has rescued you from your sin. How God has rescued you from hopelessness through Christ. And because of your union with Christ, you've been transformed. You've been made new. You get to live with unending, inexhaustible grace, mercy, peace, significance, value. Go on down the list. With all the saints... And that's important because the New Testament describes the church in these different metaphors. It's a body, it's a temple, it's a building, it's a family. We share in this together. You as a believer, you get to share in this with this church family. This church family gets to share this with other church families in the area. Other church families in the area get to share it with other church families throughout the nation and throughout the globe. We share in the gospel together. So again, I have nothing original to say. The gospel is the main thing. I pray that it dominates your thinking. I pray that it shapes your character, that it informs what you do and how you do it and why you do it. I pray that it becomes your overriding passion. To make the gospel of Jesus Christ known to whoever God happens to bring your way. Whether it's somebody who's not yet a believer. Whether it's a new believer that needs some encouragement. Or whether it's a seasoned believer. That you guys just get get to delight in Christ's love for you together. The main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul says this. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The love of Christ confirmed by the truth and the authority of God's word. This is our message. And I pray that you carry it out to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good gift of your word that reminds us, that teaches us, and encourages us that we have hope because you sent your son to die in our place. We thank you for the perfect, once for all, satisfactory for eternity sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. We thank you that because of his perfect work at the cross, we can know that we know that we know. That our sins are forgiven. That we have been loved by the heavenly father. That we have been adopted as his sons and daughters. That we are objects of his eternal affection and attention. And it will never ever change. That we can know that we know that we know. That our eternity is secure In Christ. And we long for that day. Where you will rescue us from even the presence of sin. Help us to fix our gaze heavenwards. And running all of life through the gaze of eternity. Thank you that because of your son. We have hope for today. And hope for tomorrow. And hope for the day after that and the day after that. Father, for those who are here this who are your followers. I pray that you would remind them. That you would stop them in their tracks. With how wonderful and amazing the gospel is. And I pray it gives them motivation to go into a lost, dying and hurting world. With the message of hope. I pray for those who are hearing this and have never trusted it, your son. I pray they heard crystal clear that you love sinners so much that you sent your son to die for them, to rescue them. And I pray they would take you up on the offer, that they would trust your son to be their savior, that they would experience a transformed life the assurance of forgiveness of sins, and hope everlasting. Father, thank you for the, your word. Thank you for the truth that teaches us. Thank you for all that you have done to glorify yourself through your son and you've allowed us to benefit. We ask this all in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.